Well, today I'm a very lucky guy because I get to sit down and chat with uh, childhood hero, none other than uh, five times 500 Grand Prix world champion Mick Doon. Thanks for taking the time out of your day to, to sit down with me, Mick. No worries, not much happening. <laughs> well, you say that, but I know you're a, a busy guy, uh, you're, you're always traveling, so it's nice that we're both here in Monaco at the same time. And um, we're going to go back and talk about your early days, but interestingly, your son Jack He's gone through that stage of his career right now, but he's a little bit smarter than us. He's uh, taken the four-wheel route rather than two wheels, so uh, he's been doing well, hasn't he? He's been doing well, but probably a little bit different than what you and I did. You know, he's he's, uh, he's gone into a semi-professional level straight away, whereas, you know, certainly I and, and perhaps yourself also, you know, with the dirt bikes and then just straggly road bikes, you know, on, on, the, on the whatever circuit you could get on. He's gone straight from a go-kart into semi-professional team, so lucky bugger. <laughs> <laughs> but was that something uh, when he was growing up, was that a conscious decision that you steered him in that direction? Or no, he... not really. He, he likes dirt bikes, um, but he's, he's always messed around in go-karts and then he's been racing karts from, from a young age, so it was just a natural progression into the karts. And he won a, a, um, three Australian titles. Um, in, a, in, in different categories in kart racing. So then he asked if he could come to Europe. I said, if he won again, and then um, he won again. So I said, okay, we come out here, and then now we're racing cars. So he, um, well, we're not, he is, and <laughs> but I'm here with him. Yeah. But, um, but anyway, he's, um, he still likes riding dirt bikes, especially when we're back in Australia, around the property there. But you've also got to sort of retain, retain his appetite for it, or strain his appetite for it, I should say, the um, because you know he thinks he thinks he's a Eugene Laverty or a or a you know a Chad Reed or something, whoever he wants to be at the time, whether he's on road or whether he's on a dirt bike. So he's generally in a pair of uh, flip flops and you know <laughs> and a pair of shorts, you know. So so you got to he's still only sixteen, so he doesn't understand really how how hurt you can get on a motorcycle. I do remember when we sat down for dinner a, a few years ago when the first time I met uh, Jack, he was quizzing me a lot and asking, oh, you know, whenever you <coughs> slide and you lose the front and slide along the tarmac near leathers, did they heat up? To the, does it burn them through? And I'm thinking, just, um, I don't know if you know the guy to your left, but it's uh, <laughs> your father, namely <laughs> McDoohan, knows a little bit about uh, that. Yeah, yeah, I don't think, you know, it's like I'm just his father, so he, you know. That's what it seemed like, yeah, I guess, that he didn't see you as a... Uh, growing up in the 90s as I did watching you racing so yeah, yeah. but he um, you know he certainly enjoys watching the bikes you know there's you know uh, growing up it's not like we in Australia live in a museum like uh, Barry Sheen's old house where he sort of had memorabilia all spread throughout the house but you know it, it's it's there it's enough to see that we must have some we have some attachment to motorcycle racing and he enjoys going to the MotoGP you know and hanging out with a few of the guys there and and quizzing but you know he's uh you know thankfully he's a little bit too tall i think for a bike guy you know <laughs> so so he's uh he enjoys the car race and i think at, at the end of the day I, same as i like watching formula one i like watching all, all forms of motorsport at the end of the day it was for me it was bike racing and i think at this stage as i say he's 17 next year it's still just focused on uh, on, on sticking on four wheels but uh, but you're right it's a little bit less pressure for me you know as as far as going and watching him and, and feeling that uh, 
you know, when you're watching, you know, even even at home when he's on a dirt bike running around the place, anything can happen. A little a little slip up on the uh, on the bike is, you know, you end up on your on your backside and you end up hurting yourself perhaps. Whereas, you know, a car you can still hurt yourself, but you know, a little spin out you just spin out, put it in first gear and away you go. It's not the same on a bike, is it? You know, it's nowhere near it. So yeah, it's, so it's very different. Whenever I first started to get to know some of the the car racing guys, and realized that they would start the year with their kit and finish the year with their kit. Whereas remember when we started the year with whatever helmets or gloves or boots, you know, you had to be on the phone saying, yeah, I've crashed, I need some more. Yeah. So we forget that we don't have a shell around us to protect us. Quite a number of times I've just had duct tape <laughs> holding them back together, you know. But, um, <clears throat> but, you know, they're all good memories. But um, certainly car racing and bike racing, they're, they're, they're miles apart in that regard. But um, as I say, you know, nobody wants to see a big accident either one. No, no, they can both go wrong. That's, that's motorsport, isn't it? So, um, talking about your early career then, uh, I'm keen to know how you did actually get into bikes then, because growing up in, in Queensland, Australia, mm. other side of the world, so what, what first thing did the, the interest? Did you see something? Uh... No, my, my, I've got two older brothers, so, you know, my eldest brother um, got a dirt bike. I can't even remember what age he was, but I was—I would have probably been six or seven, you know. And then, um, and then, as the younger brothers do, you know, they want to get on or have a ride or whatever. And uh, then all of a sudden, we all had dirt bikes, and um, and we were just um, riding in in through the we call bush in Australia, you know. And uh, <clears throat> my father was involved with earth moving. So uh, they were building a dam out the back of the Gold Coast, and um, so there was plenty of area to, to ride as well. But um, it wasn't until I think I, I, well, I know I got caught by the police when I was about seven years old oh, on really? the street, you know, that um, my mother freaked out a little, and that's how we ended up focusing on, uh, on racing. She decided to put us all on a, in an enclosed area where she can keep control of us and... Uh, and we went racing, so all three of us uh, started racing about that same time. And was that then motocross that you started doing at that stage? Um, it was a bit of both. It was uh, mainly what we call flat track in Australia. Yeah. So, you know, dirt track they call it now, but I, I think it's still called flat track in Australia. Yeah, I never know which one they call it, dirt track or flat track. <laughs> I think it's the same, isn't it? It is it's the same, uh, yeah. So it's been called uh, both. But even... Uh, there was oil track racing as well in Australia, was that later? That's right, so now that, um, that was mainly, there was some oil tracks, but that was mainly a bit older, um, older, but, but the flat track, you know, sometimes I was just ovals with a dog leg in them, so you did have a right, but other times I was just like a street circuit. Oh wow. You know, but, um, you know, so straight and then lefts, rights, bigger sweepers, so it was, it was quite cool. And then as we progressed, or, or as, I guess it evolved because it was the early days of dirt bikes anyway back in Australia, the early 70s. And um, um, then it was one weekend motocross, one weekend uh, um, dirt and flat track. And um, you know, my father then started importing uh, bits and pieces from, from the US performance products. <coughs> and, then, um, and then ended up buying a... a a dealership and we had a Honda dealership called Doohan's Honda you know but then uh, you know at one point in time you know I was racing everything from sidecars on the dirt to, to mini you know 80 cc's with mini wheels on them any class we could centrifugal clutch car classes so 
you know, I think at one point there, between the three of us, we had 12 motorcycles we were racing on the weekend, so. Wow. <laughs> Australia's a pretty uh, big old place, so how the hell were you getting around? Uh, we were mainly just running around where we are close, you know, so, you know, at that point in time, the early days, my father um, was still alive, so he was taking us around, but we'd only travel within a couple of hundred miles, of, if that, of where we were. Right. You know, <clears throat> little kilometres, as we call it. Yeah. <laughs> and, um... um so we just stayed in that area. It wasn't until I started road racing that I started really traveling in a state and, and all that type of stuff. And right. Then, and then internationally. <laughs> yeah, other side of the world. Yeah. Starting out there, though, it's, it was a different time then because we didn't really have that then growing up in Europe. Now we start to have the yeah. dirt track and flat track, but you guys definitely learned a different kind of bike riding skills yeah, to, to what we did. <clears throat> Speedway was also big as well, you know, so a lot of the guys went, ended up in Speedway, that's how you had so many Aussies in the UK running Speedway as well, yeah. I think there's still quite a large number of them, um, but you know, Speedway was a big thing every weekend in Australia, you know, so in the major cities there was big Speedway events, you know, and there wasn't the internet, there wasn't a lot of this, no. so it's, you know, you go to the Speedway, you know, throw rocks at people or whatever you did, you know. <laughs> So, but it was, uh, it was, it was quite a good, uh, a good era. There was plenty of people riding bikes. And, and as I say, the, the cities, the police weren't on with policing uh, the, the, the forestries as much as they are now. So you could, you're out, you know. Yeah. You could ride dirt bikes, you know, between, almost between cities on, on, on forestry tracks, you know. Yeah, uh, that's something <coughs> we're losing in the UK and Ireland now as well. We're not allowed to ride it anywhere. Mm. Some countries in mainland Europe were it's a little bit more relaxed and it's so nice just yeah, to be able yeah. to, to ride off-road and uh, not worry about um, the police lifting you. <laughs> yeah, well, same in Australia, pretty much everywhere. It's prohibited unless you've got permits and all this type of stuff. So, you know, I think Daryl Beattie does tours out, out in the outback, you know, through the deserts and some, yeah. some areas like that. But I think everything's permitted and, you know, and it's a little bit different. You know, there are thousands of kilometre tours, you know, but to... Uh, take a plane for those type of things yeah. <laughs> well you were similar to me then I had two elder brothers growing up mm. and I just remember that that's uh, ignited the competitiveness in yeah. me I think yeah. because they whenever you're the younger brother they're always uh, egging you on to do jumps and to do the things that they can do did you have a similar thing going yeah but you know as you say when you're the younger one too you know you're, you're both physically and mentally behind so you, as you say you're always playing catch up and um you know, always under pressure to perform a bit more. So, I, um, you know, we never really raced in each, raced each other. But as you say, in, in um, a way, just when you're messing around, doing things, trying to keep up, and you know, certainly doing some damage, trying to trying to do that. I remember that. But um, as I say, we're always in different age groups in the racing classes. So, so we never competed against each other. My middle brother raced um, road bikes for a few years. But only got into only got into it after I I started uh, a few years after I started. Okay, so uh, <coughs> you were the first uh, to get into road racing. Yeah. I was going to ask that was because Scott is a few years older He's than you. He's two years older than I am. So, but he only got into it because he seen I was doing good, and as you say, like you go, shit, I used to kick his ass when he was a kid. You know, <laughs> so I'll start it. But um, had a different agenda though too. He was already sort of working construction, had his own business, had a couple of kids, so he started young. So it was more of a hobby for him, right. you know, but um, 
and he did well. You know, he was running for all the manufacturers in Australia, and but he had a bad accident in the U.S. in Road Atlanta, I think, um, and ended up in a coma and and all this type of stuff. But you know, physically, mentally, came out the other side. But it was a big shunt, you know. Yeah, mm. no, that's uh, unfortunately you see it with a, a lot of riders. Mm-hmm. Uh, some uh, some aren't so lucky, but I, that's uh, we know the the dangers of mm-hmm. it, unfortunately. So yeah, so he decided to pull the pin after that. That was ninety four, at the end of ninety four. So, um, but as you say, that's the way it goes. But he sort of, I think he did one or two Grand Prix um, for the Harris on the Harris Yamaha. I think yeah. it would have been something, and uh, as a wild card, and. Um, but Ducati in Australia against with Troy Corsa and or in Yamaha, I think it was him and Troy were teammates. Oh, right. With Yamaha, I think at one point. But yeah, he did a bunch of things. Suzuki, I think the eight hour and you know all those type of things you do, you know. So he had a good run, but you know. I remember that was one statistic that was pulled up in two thousand and fifteen. Whenever my brother Michael and I, yeah, uh, we both raced in. Uh, the MotoGP class together, and then they went through the list of the different brothers that yeah. had raced together in the same <coughs> class. And mm-hmm. There was your mm-hmm. name and, and Scott's then, so I was a little bit uh, alert about you then as well. Because, uh, <laughs> I hadn't done that before right. that time. Yeah, no, so that was all right. But um, yeah, but the the early years were good. You know, the same as you know, dirt bikes, and then and then the road bikes. So I got into that uh, by chance, really. Um, um, I had a I had a dirt bike, and I had a had a. I don't know what you guys called them in the UK, whether it was an RD or an RZ. We were calling them RZs in Australia. Um, but I had a 350 RZ that somebody, a buddy of mine I used to race dirt bikes with, it crashed the thing and I didn't have any money to fix it. So a friend of mine who had a wrecking yard, motorcycle wrecking shop, said he'd fix it for nothing if I did a race on it. So I said, it sounded like a deal to me. So, you know, so I did one race on it, I finished second, didn't think anything of it and came in a few weeks later and he said, what are you interested in doing? Sort of uh, partying, surfing or, or racing bikes? And I said, well, if you give me a hobby. And then pretty much it went from there and then he organised Suzuki Australia to give me a, an RG250 production bike. And, and then it wasn't long before Yamaha Australia were giving me bikes and then I was, you know, a few, a few years later, I'm sitting here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it happened that quickly. So, so it happened really quickly, yeah. So 250 Proddy bikes in... Uh, Started the season in '87 on a, a TZ250 in in Australia and was '89 on a 500 here, a 250 production bike, oh, TZR wow. production bike. So, so I didn't do any of the 250 or the. No, you went straight into the big bikes. Yeah, so no I time did, for messing around them the little. Toys. One one year on superbikes '88, I did superbike. Um, yeah, so that that was the first <coughs> year of what we know know as the World Superbike uh, right. Championship. So. so. You raced a couple of rounds then in uh, right. Japan and Australia. Australia. As well. That was also my first season on a superbike as well. So as I say, it's just production bike and two fifties and stuff before that, and then and then uh, Yamaha wanted me to actually spearhead their their superbike pro- program because yeah. um, they had the grid was full of Yamahas. It was Yamaha was like Honda was <laughs> at the end of my era. Everyone was on a Yamaha. So they didn't want another guy coming in. They wanted to go chase the superbike title, and um, so that was one of the reasons I went Honda. To be to be fair, and then whenever you won <coughs> in uh, Australia, was that what really did get uh, the teams coming to, to to speak to you because you were new on the scene? And then that, that's right. So um, actually, Barry Sheen had, had stirred some interest um, 
prior to that, because he was in Australia and doing television for the national series and, and whatever else. And, and I was racing in, in Japan with the, what was called TTF1 at that point in time, with the Yamaha and doing quite good. Um, and I'd actually signed a letter of intent with Suzuki prior to signing with that and, um, and then got myself out of that. But yeah, Honda did come to, um, Honda came and seen me after the, uh, after the, um, after the Oran Park, the Australian round. And, uh, and, um, and that's when basically I agreed, agreed to do it really. So, uh, but it, equally at that time, it also pressured Yamaha to actually, they gave me a test on the Yamaha and they were interested in perhaps putting me on the Yamaha. But uh, I decided to go with the Honda anyway, so. I think that was a pretty good choice in the end. It was, it, it, it was long term, but I mean, initially, uh, you know, I wasn't thinking the right way. I was thinking more longer term, you know, Gardner was about six years older than me and they didn't really have any other guys. You know, Schwantz and I were similar age, he's a year older than I am. Um, Yamaha had so many, so I thought Honda's the best way to go, but I rode the Yamaha and it just felt like every other Yamaha I rode, it was easy to ride. Pretty much like, you know, I, I hate to reflect back and, and talk about today, but if you look at the Yamaha today, it still does exactly what it looked like when I was following them, yeah. <laughs> when I rode them. <laughs> you know, they stop, they turn, they may, may not have the best power, but, you know, they, they, they weigh themselves out and it's a pretty good package. Uh, so I rode the Yamaha 500, it was a, a cracking straight on the pace. And then I jumped on the Honda and went, shit, what have I done? Oh, really? <laughs> didn't want to turn. Had a great engine, but it didn't want to turn. Had no feel, you know, so. And, you know, back then, the, the, the two strokes were only 115 kilo. Yeah. You know, so. And, uh, and a bit of a light switch as well on the gas. A bit of a light switch. So, you know, Cito Pons added the 15 kilos to them when he was crashing and quite a bit when he stepped up from 250. Right. You know, and then added, took also a, you know, added a, a rule with two two races needed to be dropped so you could recover from injuries. You know, so oh, <laughs> which well. we exactly so. But um, anyway, I'll let you research all that. But I mean, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, the uh, the weight, you know, it actually that fifteen kilos stopped the progress of the five hundred for a long while before, like because again it wouldn't stop and it'd yeah. spin. You had no the corner speed. It didn't want to. You couldn't be on the side. You know, you just had to lift it up. But but yeah, the early days when they were 115 kilo um, were, was a different different motorcycle, you know, the 250 production bike I was on. Yeah, I can know, imagine. Because it'd be lighter than that. It was lighter than that with, you know, four or five times the horsepower. Oh yeah, that's 50 <coughs> kilos lighter than uh, the kind of bikes we're riding now, so mm -hmm. that must have felt like a little toy then to throw mm -hmm. around. It would have been nice at somewhere like Suzuka, I'm sure, changing direction through the Yeah, first. it's still at the end of the day, you know, you've got to crawl all over the thing, but you know, it just was a bit easier to stop and corner speed it just was a nice little package so you know and then trying to add you know in, in 91 trying to add that weight you know yeah. trying to where do you put it you know all of a sudden so now it gets the other way how do you take it off you know once you got it there you know so you know swing arm pivot bolts with solid you know <laughs> things like this you know trying to keep all the weight so when you were actually putting the weight on you could feel it more yeah but um you know, but yeah, completely different areas <coughs> then when you think about that. Like we're trying to take power away now, but back then the engine uh, was so important. So you got on the, the Honda and 
suddenly realise what this thing's a handful and it's interesting that you say then the ethos of the manufacturer seems to have remained almost over the course of 30 years that's what we've always known of the Yamaha's a little bit easier back in the Honda maybe a little bit more of a handful but then uh, I think with your background of riding different off-road bikes and uh, dirt track and all the rest and, and super bikes as well then do you think that allows you to have a well-rounded experience to, to manhandle the Honda then? Um. You know, I, I think it was a great thing for me to have Eddie Lawson, who, who joined uh, Honda in 89 as well. So he'd come from Yamaha as well. So both he and I had the same feedback of right. what the bike wouldn't do. You know, so that helped drive the, the, uh, the progress or the direction of the, the Honda. Okay. You know, and uh, Wayne Gardner, um, <clears throat> that's all he sort of knew. So the direction sort of went our way a little bit. So it was still, it's it still Honda sounds like it's still got the same, you know, DNA in it, you know, yeah. when you speak to the guys, it's still, I don't know why um, that they have that, but, but we certainly changed it and I changed even in uh, 1990, um, 1990 and 91, both Gardner and I, towards the end of 90, my bike was different than his, and 90, 91 his weight his engine was was about 10 15 millimeters lower than mine you know because the the lower it is it leans over easy but it won't actually steer yeah so we were sort of the steering head height and also the engine height get it up so at least harder to get it in but then it'll help it'll stay down a little bit easier the dirt bike thing the thing sliding and moving around didn't affect me at all so you know it was just getting the getting the feel from you know trying to it just didn't give you any feedback had good throttle response that wasn't an issue it just needed to be able to find where the where the tires were so it just took a while to find that balance to work out where the where the front is where the rear is so then you could crack on with it and that was scary when you think about how many times you guys would have crashed back then tire development has moved on so much nowadays i think people always kind of point at traction control nowadays but that's what saves us, and it is, but even if we didn't have traction control the way tyres are now, and the engine is so linear compared to what you guys had, mm -hmm. you had to do all, all sorts of things to, to try and uh, tame it, but um, you said about then whenever you moved to 500 Grand Prix, that first year whenever there was three riders in the Rothmans Honda team, then uh, your plan to go with Honda was thinking long term, because mm -hmm. Wayne Gardner was older than you, okay, <coughs> this is a seat I can get long term, then uh, Eddie Lawson came in as well then, so there was there quite a bit of friction inside the team? Uh, well, it was separate teams actually, so it was a separate um, Honda team, so it wasn't a, ah, okay. an official satellite team, as you know, yeah. I think they still call them today. So it was a full factory uh, Honda team run by Irv Kanemoto, yeah. so it was a separate team, so it was uh, Wayne and I and one, and then separate, but you know, we shared basically information. Um, but again, Eddie was older than Wayne, so, you know, I think it was just, a, for Eddie it was coming, you know, uh, and just, Wayne was, was uh, um, you know, suggesting that the Yamaha was the only reason that um, um, Eddie was winning, and if he was on a Honda, you know, it'd show him how, you know, how tough it is, where Eddie came in and won the championship, so, <laughs> so it, uh, didn't, it didn't really work out for Wayne, but... Equally, um, soon as that that season finished, Wayne went back to Yamaha. Yeah. So, um, you know, he went through. Uh, there was, there was um, 
I can't even remember, let's say 15 rounds in, 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 in 1989. And I think Eddie finished up on chassis number 11. And uh, I was on chassis number four, but both he and Wayne were on. So um, um, that type of uh, development. Um, and, um, you know, I think if you speak with people like um, Mackenzie and this type of stuff, there was also a tyre selection. The, right, the number yeah. one riders had tyres. The best guys in, in free practice would then get a tyre for qualifying, you know, and it'd make a second difference. So then you'd have to, you know, the amount of load the suspension would be under, so you'd almost have to reset the bike again. So you, you're racing to get a tyre, and then you get this tyre, and then the bike's completely screwed, and then you can run on that. So, so all that, and also the number one and number twos in, um, in the teams, I got rid of all that, right. you know, with, you know, it's like shit. Because I was going to go and sign with Honda again after my first two, uh, Yamaha, uh, I'll get this right, Suzuki again. Really? After, um, if I didn't get the same... So did you do you came the five hundred Grand Prix on a one year contract? A two year. So, so, so you came yeah, for so two years. And then the end uh, at the end of still through the beginning of ninety, as I say, development had gone my way, but it was still tire this and you know, mm. this and that and politics. Yeah. You know, and then Suzuki was sort of keen to still have me, so and um like I always done I went and spoke with Honda Honda and said, you know, I am at, I'm, I'm out of here unless we get the same equipment. Yeah. So so the first the first weekend that got everything exactly the same was Hungary and I won and then the next race was in Australia and um, and I finished second and pretty much it's gone from there but from there on in the the factory team anyway has um, the same equipment. You know, oh, that's the way it should be. <laughs> I didn't know that then because uh, I knew your first uh, Grand Prix win was in Hungary but that's uh, mm. behind the scenes then the fact that you pushed for that. Mm -hmm. that's that's important isn't it you, you got to be strong and that's mm. uh, something i knew i was mm. watching you on tv growing up mm. was uh you were uh, pretty pig-headed and you just you knew what you, what you wanted yeah well, that's you, what it you, took. at the end of the day you can't sort of go i wish i've done that and i wish i've done that you've got a short period to, to have a go don't you you know yeah and you'd uh, up and left uh, the other side of the world to, to commit mm -hmm. to this so you got to make it work but, you know, that was a similar thing, as I say, with, with Neil, you know, because we're quite often travelling a little bit together, the motorhomes and so on, and he had a similar sort of situation with the teams he was always in, you know, and, and you'd, you'd be racing for tyres, you'd be racing for this, you'd be racing for that. So you're in your own little race, and then the number one guys are, are racing up the front here. So, you know, it's certainly different than what it is today, whereas it's so freaking close, you know. Yeah, well, when I came in the World Championship, I did two years in 250, and there was a little bit of that with tyres, but thankfully, since 2009, there's been a control tyre, yeah. and that's such a good thing, because yeah. that's it's just so bizarre what happened 20, 30 years ago with the, the tyres that the front half of the grid had a different tyre to the yeah. guys at the back, so it was yeah. two different races. Mm -hmm. But, you know, back, you know, there was some of that, you know, Honda, Honda, um, you know, with, with development with Michelin, they'd be building tyres, you know, after... After FP1, the guys would be calling back in, in uh, the factory and building tyres and hand carrying them overnight down for the next sort of the morning session. <laughs> so not everyone was getting those either, it was different, you know. Yeah, the expense of that as well is crazy, yeah. isn't so, it? So, you know, as you say, the control tyre took away a lot of that, which was, which was good, and at least it keeps it, you know, what everyone's playing with, but I mean, it was pretty wild. <laughs> So whenever you won your first race, that was only your second year in 500 Grand Prix mm -hmm. racing, you hadn't stepped up through the ranks the way some of the European guys did through 125 and 250. 
So did you stop and, and think, yeah, maybe I can be 500cc world champion? Um, you know, I knew, I, I, um, I uh, the first year I thought, shit, you know, from being um, with everything else up until I got to the 500 was relatively, I thought, easy. Mm -hmm. And then the 500, it's like, well, maybe I'm not cut out for this. You know, it took a lot of persistence, but it also I had some injuries, you know, in Suzuka 8 hour, I lost a finger and, and, um, and so I missed a bunch of races. I ground my hand to the bone, you know, the engine problems, ground my hand to the bone, got a caught underneath the, the handlebar, you know, and then uh, some other bits and bobs and then, um, you know, broke my arm in testing and a bit of cold in Suzuka. <laughs> so it, was, it wasn't a good, uh, a good first season, but, um, you know, once I come back from a bit of that, you know, the whole attitude had changed. Everything was starting to get a little, as I say, getting a bit more feel, getting a bit more understanding. So, you know, um, I felt if I've got the same equipment, at least I could try and race with these guys. And as I say, once I did achieve the same equipment, you know, like anything you're talking about with what you, you, you presented with sometimes, having the right material sort of makes life a lot easier and, uh, and you don't really know until, you don't really know how you're going until you got the right material. Yeah. And once I had the right material, it was sort of all just clicked together and then um, and from there on in, it was really rainy and I competing week in, week out, you know, for consistency wise. And then you'd have Schwantz who was just outright crazy, <laughs> you know, but uh, you, he'd be super fast, but then he'd be pitching it down the road, you know, and then, uh, but it was Swanson, uh, Rainey and I who were sort of competing week in, week out, in regardless where we qualified. So that's, you knew that, um, um, you know, titles are probably going to come. And as I say, the, on the count back from uh, in, in 91, that sort of, when we had to drop two rounds, that, that didn't help me out too, too much. And then uh, Rainey had broken his leg in the last round. Yep. But on the count back, I'd, I'd lost it the weekend before in, in uh, in Le Mans, I had to beat Schwantz, and Schwantz got me just in the last lap, I think. Oh. <laughs> and um, and then the next year, you know, uh, I, I broke my leg. So we had a bunch of good years of battling together. But, uh, but that's, so. That just uh, says in itself just how savage that year it was whenever somebody thought it would be a good idea mm -hmm. that the riders get to drop their worst two results. So that's going into the season, almost assuming that you're going to get an injury you're already thinking well, ahead so. well a lot of us didn't think it was a good idea it was Cito Pons because he'd hurt himself he went from 89 being the 250 world champion came in in 1990 and the 1990 bike was uh, you know uh, it was better than 89 but it was still you know it was a pretty wild bit of kit and um, <clears throat> he, he certainly you know was <laughs> yeah. he was airborne quite a lot and so he uh, he was one of the board members or whatever you call them of, uh, of Erta at that point in time and decided to up the weight and also drop these two rounds. So, but anyway, as I say, I'll let you do all the homework on that. But, yeah, but I'm going to go home and look into that. It's, <laughs> it's interesting. And then the points in 92 was also changed and they put it all back to, uh, they put it all back to um, all rounds count. Okay. But then they changed the point system, which didn't, didn't help anybody either. So was that was it back to 25 points for the win, 20 points yeah, for the Yeah, but it only paid down to 10 instead of 15. Oh, okay. So, you know, so, and then they decided, okay, that didn't work either. We just put it back to how it used to be. So. <laughs> just changing it for the sake of changing that's it. That's right, you know. So, so but anyway, that's, that's 
I guess how you land somewhere and go, yep, I think we were right before we started changing things. But, no. but, um, but yeah, you know, um, you know, you know, I never sort of, as I say, it was only the first year that I thought that um, once you got out there and you're racing the likes of the Lawsons, the, the Rainies and, and uh, even Sarons and all these guys are running up front and you go, wow, you know, these yeah. guys are, they're on a different level. And they were, you know, from, from what you're running around on a street bike and, and what essentially a super bike was and it was a street bike anyway, more so than it is today. But um, so that, that was a golden level. era though, wasn't it? You think the caliber of riders and that was serious pressure mm. for you to step in there as a guy just coming from Australia. And just how many tracks were you learning? I'm, I'm sure 14 of them in a way, 14 out of 15 yeah, because you wouldn't yeah. have many. No, 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 I sort of... Um, you know, most of the other than Suzuka in Australia, I hadn't seen any of them other than, um, you know, doing, we did some testing in Brazil and, um, and that was it. So you'd show up. There was a lot more testing back then mm-hmm. and, uh, and it was a Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Yeah. Um, the first, I can't remember when they dropped those, but there was like a, an hour in the morning on Thursday or and an hour in the afternoon, of, you know, we're testing the memory here, but, you know, <laughs> well, um, you know, there was certainly a, a lot of testing and a lot, a lot more riding, you know. Yeah, but what if you think of the calibre of riders and uh, just stepping in, that, that's a, a baptism of fire. <coughs> I can't imagine doing yeah. that now. I watch that era of, uh, of riding. It was nice to see all the different manufacturers as well. Mm. So many different bikes uh, up at the front. I love watching back there, those races, because I was born in 86, so I only yeah. started watching in the 90s, but mm. around the, the turn of that uh, decade, those were some great races and some mm. uh, mega battles. It is a shame that you know, like the you know somebody like yourself or some young kid running in the national championship and goes and does a few races isn't given more given more opportunity these days. You know, it's it's certainly a different um, platform than it used to be. You know, young guys used to be given opportunity. Now it's uh, mm. now you've really got to step through the uh, the junior categories, whether it be in Spain and then the Moto Three, Moto Two. You know, and. Um, there's really no, this guy looks like he's got a bit of talent, let's, let's throw him in the deep end and see how he goes. <laughs> yeah, it wouldn't be a bad idea, would it, you know, to have your guy that's uh, <coughs> already been fighting for a championship and then take a punt on the mm-hmm. second rider, mm-hmm. would be fun. But, um, you know, they don't, uh, you know, they certainly don't, don't do any of that any longer and if anything, a lot of the guys hang in there forever now too, you know, yeah. whereas back in those early uh, parts of my Grand Prix career anyway, you know, you get one or two years and if you weren't any good, They'd yep. replace you, you know. Now it seems, you know, once you're there, you're there for good, really, until something happens. Yeah, it's the, the take the safe <coughs> bet nowadays, don't they? Whereas it mm-hmm. seemed like back then, if you weren't performing at the top, you were out, and mm-hmm. there was going to be some other uh, young kid coming in. Mm. So um, that was the end of 91 you spoke about then. <coughs> 92 was, uh, yeah, you started out then incredibly well. Um, going into that season, I'm sure you had... A lot of confidence after 1991 whenever you you know you were were you uh, third in the championship or second in the championship uh second okay. yeah. yeah so second. you had a fair idea that going into 1992 that um, you were one of the favorites for the championship then so you kicked it off and start yeah absolutely you know um 91 uh, michelin had stopped uh, competition with MotoGP, they went sports car racing with Peugeot, so, but Honda decided to stay with Michelin because of the, the business-to-business relationship they had. Um, 
So we were running production tyres essentially. Really? So, and then, uh, and then so Dunlop, the other guys were running Dunlops, you know, and so the development of that was going great. Then anyway, uh, towards the end of the season, uh, Michelin decided to get back into bike racing because the sports car thing wasn't doing so great. And um, so for me, the development of the Honda was coming along the right with also changed the firing order. Okay. Um, what they call the Big Bang. But also the Michelin tyre for me was so, you know, was, um, was much better than it was. Whereas for those guys, you know, um, they had a Dunlop, which was quite good on the front, but the, fr the rear was always spinning. Now they've got no feel on the front after a year on the, on the Dunlop. So it was a double whammy for me. But, but you know, the front end uh, slides we were having on, in 1990, you know, wearing holes in your knee, just yeah. holding the things up. It was um, pretty wild with that, uh, with that, um, with that front, with that production uh, tire. I think if you look back in '91 in um, in Assen, there's the, th the three of us. I think Schwantz, myself, and um, and Rainey. And then I end up going off. It was spinning a little bit, but that long left before you come down in the chicane, you know, the last turn. Where's that? It is. At Assen, yeah. At Assen, yeah. Yeah, that long fast one. That's yeah. gone off and they've you know but that's when they had the dikes in there and there's uh, hay bales to stop you going into that so boom into that thing oh. but um <clears throat> that's that's really what uh, destroyed that the title in 91 but um going back to 92 running with those tires in 91 sort of helped so much with for me as a rider riding on just freaking terrible tires essentially and then having some good tyres, having the development of the bike, then, you know, it was, a, you know, we were gone as far as a team. You know, we were sort of up the road. And the, um, Gardner, Gardner had hurt himself uh, in the first round. Um, you know, they did want, uh, want Daryl Beattie to be my teammate anyway that year. Okay. But, um, so he filled in a couple, of, uh, for a couple of races, but then ended up doing the, the all-Japan 500cc uh, uh, championship. And he did well on it as well. It was a good bike, and you know we had good momentum. And then I hurt my, I broke my leg in Assen. Yeah, that's uh, <coughs> horrific. Uh, I'm sure you've spoken about that mm. period in your life so many times. So I'll almost skip over it slightly <laughs> exactly. because I, I know in graphic detail. I'm sure most people do. It was just horrendous. But I'll go forward then and say yeah. about how you jumped back from that injury after everything you'd been through it was yeah. unbelievable. Yeah, you know, it's the same thing though. It was that close, and and to, and to be fair, as I say, ninety. Had I won the championship that year, you know, I may have actually just retired because it was like, uh, you know, there was so such a long game to get back to being strong and healthy. Um, especially ninety three was just trying to, uh, trying to sort of retain a contract because as we were talking about earlier, it was only ninety and uh, eighty nine and ninety. I did a. a, a two-year contract every other year was a single year one year contract and then um, and um, you know with Gardner retiring and so on Gardner was trying to get back in you know and then um, saying that I'll never be back to where I was before you know which was a good call because you know I'd, I'd almost lost my leg and I was used to my right ankle but um, you know and then Honda Honda weren't really listening to that too much but they were sort of saying hey take a few months off and we'll put um, Eddie Lawson on because he'd also recently retired. But you know, if once you step out of the scene, you're gone. So, yeah. so I had to just keep pushing and, and do enough and to uh, um, uh, to to gain the trust to, to get another contract. And 
and away I went. But you know, the, um, my my uh, right leg was was well and truly you know screwed by the end of the year. You know, I could grab my ankle, grab my knee. It had about a twenty degree angulation in it, but you could actually flex the. <laughs> it was oozing uh, fluid. You know, it, was, it wasn't a good state. But you know, once I'd um, I still I, I won a Grand Prix that year. And I think I was leading, well, I know I was leading in, uh, in Laguna Seca, but I just didn't have the strength that got away from me coming through there because so much upper body, you know, when you use too much upper body, <clears throat> the thing sort of, you just end up doing this. <laughs> I did that in the, um, in the corkscrew in, in uh, Laguna Seca. Yeah, I And the thing snapped around and then, uh, and then, you know, I had a two and a half second lead. I should have just killed uh, <laughs> my jets, but, but that's I decided then I could have continued on and done the next round in Harama in Spain and, and perhaps finished third in the championship. But I decided to stop there, go and get my leg fixed. As I say, I'd already signed a, a new deal. <clears throat> yeah. Third, fourth, second, it wasn't the place I wanted to be. So so I then uh, just took um, took a bit of time off and, um, and uh, stayed in San Francisco and got the leg fixed and put that apparatus thing on it. And, you know, I'd broken my uh, shoulder blade or scapula and, um, as well, so I just did a couple of other little bits, bits of maintenance while I was there. <laughs> I've seen uh, a fixator that you had on uh, for about what, three months or something, and that was a hell of a contraption, but that was a pivotal point in your career, I'm sure, because uh, it was tough to stay in uh, America and with something like that in your leg, but uh, it showed that you were motivated and you wanted to, to get back to your, your best or as best could yeah, be. Yeah, you know, th that, that was it. It was a I knew, well, I knew I could ride, basically. We'd adapted the thumb brake earlier in the season. You were already yeah. using that in 93 then? Yeah, so 93, because I didn't have a, the last last two races in 92, I had no rear brake, and I had to take it off. And then um, the first race in 93, uh, Suzuka, I put like a decompression lever, you know, on the, but, you know, going through the S's, because back then now you don't use the clutch at all no. but back then the clutch was your traction control you know and uh, so you know trying to do that it was impossible if you use one the index finger and the other one for the clutch it was just dangerous so that's when I was riding around and went maybe I could use my thumb and how hard am I actually hanging on to the bike you're not yeah, actually yeah. hanging on that hard you know because you you know you're not like this and um, so for the next round um, um, we adapted, I said uh, to the Japanese, let's do a thumb break, and they had it for, for Jerez, and um, I think we're on the podium straight away, so, so, um, so yeah, where were we before that, that was, uh, we were back in 90, uh, where, where were we before I stepped back to the thumb break in 93, but, um, but anyway, yeah, so that's, we started with that, and I've had to retain that the whole way through, because you, and now they make them, you know. Yes, make them, so. now there's still so many riders that are mm. using that, something that, that you developed. Uh, mm. I guess it's uh, the first thing that I saw with uh, that kind of uh, throttle was a quad bike throttle. That's right. And then you, you put it to the left hand uh, that's to right. a thumb brake, and yeah, people yeah. just talk about it nowadays as, yeah, you either use a foot brake or a thumb brake, but... Uh, yeah, you were the innovator of, uh, mm. of that thumb brake. Well, system. I couldn't have a, a, a foot brake because my ankle doesn't move. So if I move forward, my ankle, my foot will, will actually hit the brake. So, yeah. so it needs to be removed. So what was a 90, uh, 93, I think Gardner and I did the, the Suzuka 8-hour. Basically, the Japanese had pulled the rear brake off. We had both on it. 
We really? just had a slot thing and pulled the rear brake lever off. Whenever you come out, yeah. whenever <laughs> when you turn yeah. to ride. <laughs> so, uh, you know. Well, you cope really well now. I've seen you walking and riding bikes and stuff. And uh, considering uh, how bad your ankle is, you really manage very well with it. Yeah, you know, it's, it's one of those things you've got to get along with. But, um, um, you know, as long as, uh, as long as I've got shoes on, I'm pretty good. And, uh, you know, the bicycles, I'm just getting too old now. So, <laughs> further scooter. Yeah. Uh, fair play to have an injury like that and then uh, come back here in 93 and like you said it's actually pretty easy to see through your early career what position you finished in the championship because you were one of the uh, very few riders that rode with the race number yeah. uh, according to what championship yeah. position you'd finished the year before with and that was, that was pretty cool but it's uh, the next era then that we're going to talk about from 94 to 98 um, you held the number one so <laughs> you yeah. didn't have to change well, no, you know, for me, it's, you only see the bike number when you're hopping on it or when you're picking it up out of the dirt. So, you know, so I really had no, <laughs> I really had no uh, favourite number. And, uh, you know, now everyone's got a favourite number. So if, if they start retiring every number, there's not going to be many numbers to choose from in the, in the years to come. Yeah, we're going to have to bring the 26 <laughs> letters of the alphabet out and choose but, a letter. Uh, but, you know, I actually, I actually don't mind, you know, the old days where you would have your number, you know, and I think the... The manufacturers certainly enjoy it, and then it's pretty easy for people to identify as well. But you know, fair play to um, Valentino and a few others who have been able to establish a number to that. But there's only been a few people to be able to do that. You know, Barry Sheen back in those days, number seven. You know, um, but you know, Valentino and um, but the rest of it, it's you know, a number's a number. You know, yeah, that's it. I think it's about branding <coughs> now, isn't it? It's a uh... It's a bit of a money maker thing as well, but uh, that's yeah. I feel yeah, like Barry Sheen of a different era. He ran number seven. Yeah, uh, but even then, I, I don't think it really would change whether you're going to buy a uh, you know a, a Eugene Laverty shirt, whether it's got your number on it, versus whether it doesn't. You know. Yeah. So you know you're going to you're going to to buy as a, as a fan the um, your favorite rider or favorite team's apparel anyway. Yeah. You know, so the. So I think all that's a bit, for me anyway, is a bit of a myth, you know, because yeah. you, you sell, you know, when, when you're the man of the moment, you're going to sell anything. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> if you're not, it doesn't matter what number you've got. Now, when I was uh, watching you from 94, 98, that Repsol on delivery with the, the number one, mm. and, uh, sorry, 94 actually was the NSR, NSR livery, and I loved that with the number four. Uh, that was really cool. No, that was good. The, the, especially the end of the season where they changed it to the darker colours. Yeah. So that was nice, but uh, yeah, but '94, everything, um, everything come together. I had some strength again, even though I didn't. I missed all the pre-season testing, you know. So that was, uh, but it was just slowly coming back, and that was when Gabrielli Alpine Stars built me a boot, which was like a motocross built boot, you know. You could stick the boat foot in through the back, and it was all cast, you know. So it was, uh, so it would at least make me feel a bit safer if I did crash <laughs> anyway, you know. See, I didn't know that uh, Gabrielli. <laughs> Uh, boss of Alpine Stars, he's he's an amazing guy. He's such a fan of uh, of motorsport, mm. so I didn't know that. Yeah, he, did, so he developed that system. You know, so now now all the boots are sort of rock hard. And they're like motocross type of things. Yeah, so you know, if you ever come to Australia, you've still got the original ones there. You know, and they were unbranded because they had a different sponsor. Okay. You know, so but he was they couldn't build them, but he was happy to build them for me. You know, so that was. Uh, it was quite good of him, you know, we were friends anyway, but then he said, hey, you know, I'll build you these boots, and, and even 
to the end I still had to give the way my ankle is I can't get into a traditional boot so I need Jeez. to come in the back and then zip it up and, but I mean you know before that they were just like uh, you know uh, rain boots you know? yeah yeah <laughs> made of leather they, they were, were just, weren't they even the gloves as well yeah. there was just no protection it was leather that's you guys right. were literally wearing leathers <laughs> that's right you know so, so that was the start of uh, of, of, of those sort of what, are now just uh, you know stiff rigid boots basically you sit in and they've got some real protection yeah yeah that's what we use now with alpine stars we've got an inner boot system that works mm. really well and then the, the outer more mm -hmm. leather uh, for whenever we slide across the ground but we can crash pretty fast and slide along this harmack but back then for you guys if you were sliding along you had to almost go on your arse and then your left side <laughs> and then your left your right side just so you didn't burn a hole through yeah you know it wasn't too bad you know the early the 80s stuff um, they just tear, especially through the stitching, you know, more so than the leather, you know, so they just tear apart. But uh, so thankfully, I was at the end of that era, and then um, then the Japanese, you know, I, I was with a company, Nankai. Um, so they they were pretty tough. They were pretty tough leather. So you know, they were, you know, it was more, um, as you say, if you really ground yourself in, you'd burn holes. But they were pretty good, you know. But you never had the airbags. You never had the yeah. And this at the other, the boots, the gloves, and everything was just, um, you know, like dishwashing gloves. <laughs> <laughs> so now we've got pretty good stuff with our hands and elbows yeah. and knees and stuff mm -hmm. now because, oh, oh, mm -hmm. yeah, that, that um, era whenever you used to crash yeah. and whenever you used to roll through the gravel trap, and yeah. you could see whenever you, even whenever you and uh, Keely had that uh, simultaneous yeah, high yeah. side, even seeing the, the both of you guys. Uh, hobbling all, away and nowadays with their protection we'd be pretty well covered for that but uh, uh, uh. Uh, but I mean in those days that's all you had and that's you didn't think about it you know the same as circuits you know you're running in Spa and in Salzburg mm -hmm. ring and, you know you knew it was dangerous but you go shit I just hope I don't crash there <laughs> <laughs> but I don't know whether you've done any any Irish type of racing in the past but you know and I, I raced Bathurst the same thing you know which is a uh, a crazy street circuit, you know, but looking back on that, you think you're mad, but um, mm -hmm. when you, you know, when that was all what you knew, then that's, you know, now today it's, uh, you know, you, you wouldn't think of running on, on race tracks like some of the ones you used to race back then, so, you know, and it's good for the sport because there's less, less injuries, but, um, yeah, especially um, less, less fatalities. I'm thankful that I was born into this era because, but, like you said, if I was born into an earlier era, it's probably mm. all I would have known. Oh, yeah. So I was going to get hooked on, on riding motorbikes either way. So mm. we're, uh, we're fortunate enough that we've uh, made careers out of it. So you actually um, retired then at the age of 33, which is the age that I'm at now. Mm -hmm. uh, luckily, I'm still fit and healthy and uh, trying to continue on uh, for a bit. Yet, the difference is you uh, won your five titles. I still haven't won one. So yeah. <laughs> i got to keep trying. <laughs> yeah. The, uh, there's always, uh, you know, I think everything is mental. It was only that I was, you know, belted, injured that I, I finally decided to stop. And to be fair, it was actually perhaps the best way to stop because, I, you know, you never really know where to, when to stop, you know, hence, I guess, Valentino. But um, he, even he's still quick and still, but I mean, for me, it was actually physically I couldn't ride. So by the time I was physically capable, I was also over it and doing some other things. So, you know it was a blessing in disguise at the end of the day but but um, mentally you're still capable of riding so you know like I was saying earlier if you find yourself on the right equipment anything's possible yeah mm -hmm. uh, but uh, the first race that I saw you uh, 
was at Donington Park in 1998. And uh, the thing that sticks in my memory was at that stage, I think you were back in the Screamer. Uh, the engine yeah. wasn't, and just the note of your bike compared to the other ones. As a kid, as a kid <clears> then, <throat> guess what was I? Uh, Twelve years old, just mm. standing trackside and uh, watching you, and just hearing the bike. It mm. was, uh, it was amazing, and that was the first uh, Grand Prix I'd ever been at. And so that stage, I just dreamed of riding one of those bikes. Yeah. <laughs> Good so, stuff. Thankfully, I uh, managed to get uh, through in, in the World Championship, bluff yeah, my yeah. way, and I'm, I'm still bluffing my way. <laughs> <laughs> no, but uh, now, well, anything you know, I, I think. You know the sports got younger and younger, but I don't think it's got got better from, from that from that standpoint. You know the experience mentally, physically, if you're fine, mentally if you you know physically if you're capable, mentally if you've got the desire, anything's possible. You know so yeah, that's it. Age is just a number, isn't it? At the yeah, end of the day, you know it's not like you you know it's a motorsport at the end of the day. You know it's a lot of, it's physical and it's mental, but it's still a motorsport. So. You've just got to apply yourself the best you can, don't you? Yeah. So, uh, well, uh, before we finish, uh, I, I can't uh, stop this podcast without mentioning the first time that uh, we met each other then uh, at the Alpine Stars anniversary party in 2013. Because <laughs> that's, uh, for me, one of the best anecdotes. Because, like I said previously, watching you as a racer, because on TV back then there wasn't really much behind-the-scenes stuff. What we saw was you in the garage mm. and... We just knew you were a hard bastard, and you, you know, I, I didn't expect you to be as much as a of a gentleman as you are now. And at that stage, two thousand thirteen, we were at the Alpine Stars party, and our uh, athletes uh, representation guy he uh, came over and said, oh, "I've got somebody that wants to meet you." So I said, oh, "Okay, yeah, I'll come along." Thinking it was going to be an Alpine Stars employee, maybe somebody that was riding a probably a RSV four or something at the time. And there stood in front of me is Mick Doing. Say, "Oh, well, nice to meet you, Mick." And then, remember what you said to me then? You'd set it up so our mutual friend Harry, you'd been speaking to him previously and he told you to say something, so I shook your hand. I'll change the vowel and the word yeah. you used just to, to make it a little bit more polite. But you say, ah, oh, Eugene, nice to meet you. I was speaking to our friend Harry the other day. He said you called me a camp. Exactly. <laughs> and I was just stood there, I just froze for a second until then you just burst out laughing uh, and I realized, oh yeah. Uh, I didn't know that side no, of you, so good, uh, yeah. that was a funny little uh, introduction. No, no that, that, was, uh, that was good, no, but it's, it's good to catch up with you here every now and then. Unfortunately, we're sort of always cross paths, sort of you're here and then I'm, I'm, I'm away and vice versa, so we'll have to catch up with that beer one of these days. Yeah, definitely. No. I really appreciate you taking the time, no. because like I say, I know you're leaving tomorrow, so all the best to, to Jack this no. weekend as well, if he's a Thanks, good one. Man. No, hopefully, uh, hopefully you get a little bit out of that. No, that was great. <laughs> Cheers. Cheers, mate.